let's let's do this. Let's do it. Hey, welcome to Beers with Nigel. I am Nigel, and next to me, what's your Nick? What's your title? This his his, his title changes. Yeah, we change it every. Uh, I'm gonna. Be, I'm that guy. You're that. He's that guy. He's that guy. Um, on the show tonight. Tonight it is. It is nighttime. Whether is you're nighttime. listening or not, it doesn't matter. We are recording at seven twelve. Yeah, I might have been a little bit late. Sorry, Pete. We've got Pete Doolin in the house. Um, he's kind of a Renaissance guy, author, chef, beer guy, wine guy. I'm probably missing some things. Welcome to the show, dude. Appreciate you coming on. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. So it's it's funny we were talking about you know guests last week, and I was like, well, here's my list. And I had Pete on first on the list. Then I go to Transparent. And who's sitting at the bar? Pete. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, are you free? He's like, yeah, I'm free. <laughs> it was meant to be. I, I told him the stars aligned. You well, know? You, you know, you sent me a list. Like, here's six people for, for guests. Who should I call? I'm like, yes. All of them. He's like, all of them. <laughs> Just line them up, man. Let's see, go. See, Pete got to see the shit show of me ordering what I thought was going to be the night taste, tasters that were eight ounce, eight, eight, eight ounce beers. Which we um, at Transparent last weekend, right? It's official now. That is the Nigel flight. That's stupid. No, don't do it. <laughs> Half pours of all the beers. Yeah, yeah. It was. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't get through them, but that'd been a bad idea. Dude next to us that day did. Yeah, there were quite a few. They said they sold quite a few of those. Yeah. So, um, I mean, hell, Pete. I mean, you spent some time with those folks, the newest brewery in Kansas City. Um, what, what was your impression? Uh, I really like the space at uh, Transparent. Um, it's a great location, easy to get to, and uh, it's just got a really good vibe in there. Very yeah. uh, comfy and casual. Um, I like the setup uh, where they have Transparent Brewing, and then um, within the same building, they also have the Chive Cafe and Market, so you can get a bite to eat and yep. a beer in the yep. same space. Yeah, yeah. That food was great too, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it, good. You know, unfortunately, the people who came on Saturday for the grand grand opening, they get the the full frontal, you know, you got a real plate and you got a cloth napkin. That's not what they did for the grand opening for obvious reasons. But nonetheless, the food is really good. Um, before we get into who you are, Pete, um, we made the mistake of not drinking any, bringing any drinking beers and you have a beer. What are you drinking? I'm drinking a beer from uh, Sand uh, Hills Brewing. It's their uh, Sandpiper. Okay. It is a uh, sour saison aged in oak barrels oh. with pawpaw. Now, oh. now, by the way, the pawpaws for that came from a previous guest's house here here in town. Oh, that's right. My neighbor, John Bedoin. John Bedoin those pawpaws wow. came from his tree. I, I, yeah, I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't know they knew each other. That, that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tried it all together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. Not that's, that sounds delicious. It is um, a delicious beer. Uh, 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 junior. We just we shout, out to shout out to Junior. to Junior. We've got a guy. <laughs> he's he's a regular at uh, Windshift, and he's like, man, on the podcast, you need to tell me what beers you need to put in the description. What beers? Which so every week now we've got to give Junior a shout out. So, Nigel, I'm right. getting rid of this chair, but can you break out the golf bag? Yeah, yeah, I'm about to. <laughs> golf bag. Hold I on, need st- stand by. <laughs> so, Pete, this is this is the mystery beer bag. Oh, okay. Shout out to Tony Medina. Um, he procured this bag from what golf course? I don't know, I'm I'm guessing that looks Crackerneck to me, the old Independence course. So, it's it's the mystery beer bag now. So, what do we got? Gonna, Drum roll. There's some juice in there. I don't want juice. 
You take, Daddy, brown, brown Daddy, I don't bag. want the juice boxes. Look at that brown brown paper bag. Ooh, this is the special. Starting with some heft. Yeah, yeah. What do we got? Let's do this. Uh oh, it truly is no mystery beer. I don't <laughs> know what this is. I also don't have an opener. Yeah, you do. You don't have one on the keychain? No. God, we're the worst podcasters ever. <laughs> <laughs> I would give you mine, but uh, I can't pass. <laughs> Virtually. Right. I can walk out there and get one. Will this work? I mean, you went to college. I don't think this is. Nope. Yeah, you can do it. Look at you. Nope. Look at if college was a long <laughs> time ago. Yeah, not going to happen. All right. I guess we're going to uh, go grab an opener. We're going we're gonna to pause. I'll be right back. <laughs> So this is what happens when you're late. Yes. <laughs> now you asked earlier about editing. This will likely not be edited out. Oh, okay. Just so you know. No worries. I got my beer. I'm good. You're good. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't get to try the uh, the pawpaw beer yet. Yeah, it's uh, it's really delicious. I don't know if it's still available. Um, but it's kind of a a gift from Sand Hills, and um. It's definitely sour. You get that fruity taste. I I don't know that I've ever had a, a pawpaw by itself, but it definitely contributes this uh, fruitiness to it um, with a hint of that oak aging. Right. So it's, yeah, it's a really delightful beer on a hot summer uh, evening. Porch beer? Hey, give me some. Uh, it's like a porch beer extra. Porch beer extra. There we go. <laughs> yeah. I mean, give me some credit. I did bring glasses. That's true. I forgot I needed an Ooh, opener. That's fancy. That was in the drawer. Shout out to Ben Rayo. So, now this is actually a homebrew. I think this is the second time we've had a homebrew. Yeah, brew. it's from... Uh, uh, Are you pouring or am I? You can pour. It's from my, from my buddy, uh, ZZ Hops member. He told me what this was. I think it's a white stout. <laughs> He told me what this was. I don't remember. Well, he gave it to me a few weeks ago. He's like, try it. Let me know how, how, how it is. First rule of beer podcast, know what beer you're drinking. And, and, and every time I see him, he's like, have you tried it? I'm like, one of these days. And I told him, I said, we're going to do it on the podcast. So here it is. Um, shout out to Travis Bacon. Let's see. Let's see if it's any good. A white stout. Yeah. There's a white stout right now at uh, Windshift that's quite lovely. I think the first white stout we had on the show was... Uh, grains it was it was let's taste it that's good that's tasty <laughs> that's actually really good that's really tasty you know there was not much fanfare build up there no that's actually really <laughs> but good that's it's a really light, good beer you know and shout out to travis because he's a fairly new home brewer and this is this one is lovely I'll give him some some props shout out to to travis bacon there we go so, uh, uh, Junior, you can't find this beer. Sorry, this is not for you. <laughs> Unless I, I, I get, get him a beer. You never know. I, I, I feel like we need, to, we need to buy Junior a beer sometime. We're going to get him on the podcast. So, anyway, Pete, back to you. Who is Pete Doolin? Oh, man. Um, and if you were a tree. <laughs> <laughs> what tree would you be? <laughs> if you were a beer. <laughs> well, that's, that's our last question. Right. I'd be, a, I guess, a tree with many branches. Uh, Fair would be the easy answer. Yeah. So, uh, as you kind of alluded to, I'm involved in a lot of different things. 
uh, I guess for the purposes of this podcast, first and foremost, I'm a craft beer drinker. Um, I love and support craft beer and craft brewing. Um, spent a fair amount of time writing about it, uh, both um, articles. So I've been a freelance writer for about 20 years, um, full-time and part-time, um, writing about food as well as, as beverage, uh, and specifically about craft beer over the past uh, six, eight years now. Um, and then publish a few books along the way too. So, tell us about these books. Is was it? Is it three? Uh, four technically. Three of them are alcohol related. Um, so the most recent book, I just happened to have a copy. Happened to have one ready. Shameless plug. Yeah. So uh, I don't know if you can see that. If oh yeah, we can see it. But, uh, yeah, expedition of thirst. So this is a regional, uh, a travel guide to regional wineries, breweries, and distilleries in the eastern half of Kansas, the western half of Missouri. So it covers about 150 businesses. Um, this was a lot of fun to research, to drive out and to try all these beers. Right. Wine, beer. Do some taste, taste testing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just a little bit. Um, but, you know, I was my own driver, so I was responsible too. Um, but yeah, so that was the, the most recent book. Prior to that, I did a, a book uh, called Kansas City Beer. It was a history of brewing in Kansas City. I remember City. that one, yeah going from like the um, late 1800s up to uh, present day. And then um, some people know me through uh, Casey Ailtrail, which is the first uh, book that I did about craft beer um, that came out in 2014 that I, I self-published. So what, 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 what was that you? one? Yeah. yeah. Tell us about that book. Yep. So uh, Casey Ailtrail, it was, it was self-published and this was, kind of early into um, the craft brewing scene in Kansas City. Of course, uh, like micro-brewed micro beer had been around, um, you know, for quite a, a while, but then like this kind of resurgence or like this, this new wave of brewing emerged around 2011, 2012. Um, and uh, I started writing about it. And then the idea came to me in, in 2014 to, Put out this book that covered um, the breweries around town and in the area. Um, 2014 was the 25th anniversary of Boulevard Brewing at the time. Right. So that was partially my motivation to um, cover that brewery and then also a survey of what else was was around at the time. Uh, so I covered breweries in Kansas City, uh, Lawrence, Topeka, Springfield, and Manhattan, Kansas. So there was, I think, like maybe 23, 25 breweries in that book at the time across those five cities. Um, of course, now in Kansas City alone, there's more than 25 breweries um, in the greater metro area. Right. Has the bulk of your, your writing been in the, the beer and, and, and alcohol arena? You said you've been freelancing for, for 20 years now. Um, actually, most of it's been um, revolves around um, food writing and food journalism. Um, I've written about a lot of different other topics from uh, business and finance to art and music as well. Um, but my, my first love is uh, food and like culinary uh, journalism. And then as an outgrowth of that, um, the writing about craft beer, um, again, over the past six or eight years, um, especially as new breweries have, have opened up um, with the whole kind of uh, foodie movement um, 
there's been a lot of people that have kind of jumped in and like, oh, I'm a food writer. I'm a food photographer. I'm a foodie. <laughs> um, so that space has gotten kind of crowded. And I saw writing about beer um, as a, a way to further distinguish myself and um, publishing the the book, Casey Eltrail, kind of gave me a, a leg up and um, helped me uh, create this, this space where people recognize that um, I don't know that I was an authority necessarily, but um, I was out there to represent local businesses and craft brewing and uh, tell their stories. I think the word is influencer. <laughs> well, that's, I, 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 I know. Like I know. You word. probably despise that word. He probably doesn't like that word since he, yeah. he's sticking to the yeah, journalist exactly. word too. So yeah. <laughs> it's hard to yeah. meld those two together. <laughs> so, so, yeah. so Pete. Yeah, there's your... a big difference. So yeah. I mean, and I don't need to delve into it a lot. I'm perfectly but... fine with you getting journalist snobby. I'm okay with that. I'm just giving you <laughs> shit, man. <laughs> I mean, there is a distinction that I was like, I mean, if Absolutely. you're a journalist, like you're on staff, then like, you know, one, you're paid by the organization, like you follow their, their rules and their code of contact, et cetera. I mean, if you're a freelancer, you have a little bit more wiggle room, but you're still kind of, um, you're paid to do a job and, and to still follow standards there and you're edited, et cetera. If you're an influencer, it's like the wild west. Like you can do whatever right. you want and YouTube there's nobody. Star. Right. Yeah. So, and I mean, that's an, there are some you know, influencers that, put the work in, but they're not really held to any standards either. Right. So. What, uh, we, we asked this question of everybody that comes on here because we debate when did the word craft come about? You know, I'm old enough. This to, might be the guy to actually to answer that question yeah, finally. Um, cause you know, back in the day it was called premium, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> so what, what, what do you remember being your first thing? You were like, Oh, this is good beer as opposed to what we might've drank in high school or college. You remember? Right. Well, it's, I mean, I'm old enough to, you know, remember like craft beer, like the predecessor to that was microbrewed beer. Um, you know, and microbrewing goes back to, you know, the, the 80s, at least in, in my memory, you know, all the way back to Sierra Nevada um, and like what they were doing with their pale ale and all the beers that came kind of out of that era um, from, you know, breweries that, forgotten about like red hook and um right new belgium etc and like all of those beers why did you turn away i'm sorry (laughs) you know is so well spoken i I didn't want to just burp even in the middle of this conversation (laughs) i was like i mean i mean i have some standards anyway continue sir (laughs) anyway yeah so uh yeah my i mean microbrewing was you know all the rage in the, the mid to late 80s and then um in the 90s there were so many people jumping into the market um, that didn't have the same standards of quality that were just there to make a quick buck. And that kind of helped um, the market for micro beer crash um, because it was so inconsistent. Um, and, you know, the, this is, of course, like the, locally, the era of uh, Boulevard Brewing started in 1989. Um, and I think uh, a lot of people that were, um, established in the marketplace had to kind of pull back and reassess like what are we about as a brewery and as an industry during the 90s if they were going to survive um, you know so jump forward a couple decades um, and you have um, craft brewing that starts to emerge 
Um, and like one, I think major factor is um, you have home brewers that have been practicing their, um, their craft all along, but then you had the internet come along in the nineties and that helped people um, connect and communicate with each other and be able to um, learn from breweries and learn from each other. And, and to me, like that was a big impetus for the craft movement to really grow. And then you had, um, you know, this like, a second wave of uh, brewers start to come out and, and create beers. You can, um, you know, Sierra Nevada and, and some of these others early on. And then to me around, at least locally, uh, around 2010 or so, um, breweries were, were starting to, to pop up and, and put out their beers. And that's when craft uh, beer kind of took on a, a life of its own locally. What do you think it is that, that, that allows it to keep going? Because I, I, we have a couple of friends, you know, who they're naysayers, but they always are like, you know, that bubble's going to burst that, you know, it just can't, it can't keep going, but, but it does keep lasting. What, what do you think kind of is the reason for that, that it hasn't hit that, that peak in craft? Well, it's, I mean, I've been asked this question dozens of times. Um, and I think people will keep asking that question. Um, but I think it's, it's kind of a dated question anymore uh, at this point. It's right. kind of like the people that, see um you know the very first automobiles going down the street <laughs> like oh well that's a bad that's a bad, that's a bad. you know and here we are many years later um craft beer is just um this extension of a you know a, a tradition of brewing that's gone back thousands of years right so is craft brewing as we we know it um, going to survive and um, not ever change? No, it's, of course it's going to change. It's just a part of its economics. There's a lot of you know macro factors. Um, there's a lot of competition out there. Um, so there are there are great breweries in terms of what they're producing, and then there are great business people too. It's a business too, so you have to have the savvy as a business person to know how to weather the storm. Uh, make smart decisions, um, whether it's a pandemic or you're facing um, lots of competition locally, regionally, nationally, et cetera. Um, so I don't know that the bubble's going to burst necessarily um, unless there's this major macroeconomic factor like the economy crashing again. Um, don't so. say it. Stop that. Stop I know, it. I know. <laughs> I don't want it to happen. Don't tempt but, 2020. But, you know, Pete, it's, it's funny because I have this conversation. People are like, oh, Kansas City is so saturated. I'm like, you need to leave Kansas City. We're, we're so young in the new brewery scene. I had this conversation 20 minutes ago with, with Dave Eames. I'm like, no, we, what are we? And, of course, we get into what's Kansas City because Lawrence is not Kansas City. Excelsior Springs is not Kansas City. If we talk about Kansas City proper, just a metro area, what, what are we at, 45 maybe? Are we at, are we at 50? Uh, yeah, somewhere around there. Yeah. But people, you know, people think, oh, we're saturated. I'm like, you, you might want to go to like Sacramento or someplace right. and see what, you know, you can go to Sacramento. You can put a pin in downtown and do, do, do a 10 miles, 10, 10, uh, mile radius. Sort of, yeah. Yeah. And, and there's, it's ridiculous how many breweries there are. Yeah. And these breweries, especially out West have been there 
for 20 years. I mean, they're, you know, people think, oh, we're about to bust. Now we're, we're, there's breweries opening. I mean, we got, we got, uh, you know, transparent. We have a, we have a fix we got, opening right here. We got, we got goat brewing opening, opening up soon. There's going to be a brewery in Belton. No, I think that we're good. Nobody's complaining about the, the amount of quick trips. No. Well, and I think, I really think there's probably two, two causes that, that it keeps going right now. One, I think the resurgence of the tap room. Right. Right. And, and, and the second, I think, is culturally there is a shift back to artisan handmade things. I, I mean, I, I, exactly. Yeah. yeah and I, um, um, uh, I've made this uh, comparison uh, before, and, and I still kind of stand by it. It's, I think the, the rise of craft brewing builds on an audience that is interested in um, a, a variety of selection out there and like um, heightened flavors and experiences in the same way um, is it's piggybacked on um, food and how right. food really over the past 20 years has grown and evolved to you know spawn the food network and then um, celebrity chefs and then foodies and, right. and whether you think positively or negatively about that um, the end result is that all these people are interested in, in food in a variety of ways. Um, a probably closer comparison is the specialty coffee market. So again, like you think back to the, the 90s, like the very first days of Starbucks and Seattle's Best Coffee and um, how coffee, specialty coffee has um, grown and evolved in waves um, to where you have these different iterations and, and coffee shops reinventing themselves and getting into single estate coffees and um, these hybrids. Craft brewing has really kind of mirrored that path as well. Um, so I think that there's plenty of room for growth. There's plenty of room for more people to get into the market and define themselves. It's more right. competitive now than five years ago. So, but I, but I think, you know, me as a beer drinker, something new, I mean, obviously, you know, craft beer is still very narrow. It's not, most people don't drink craft beer. But if something pops up, if I'm in another, another city or something like that, same way with the restaurants. If there's a new restaurant, I'm like, yeah, I should probably go try that. You know what I'm saying? Right. I mean, so, you know, maybe I'm, maybe I'm made for craft beer <laughs> and, yeah. being a, and being a foodie, you know? I mean, I'm, yeah. But I, th I, I think he, he hit on it. There's the, there is something to demand for a different experience, whether you're talking about restaurants, yeah. whether you're talking about coffee shops, yeah. whether you're talking about a brewery and a, and, a, and a tap room. I think there are a lot of people, big segment that are, are wanting something different. They're not, I mean, like, I mean, look at the restaurants that are going down, right? I mean, we just saw Applebee's is, is shutting down another one up in, in the North part of Kansas. But I mean, those, <laughs> those type of things are, are struggling, but you're still seeing, we've got a new restaurant working on coming, coming online here in our downtown area. Right. I mean, I think that just people are, are looking for a different kind of experience and a different kind of thing. I think part of that is that, that allure of, of more artisan craft things. Right. Yeah. People want to support local. And if the local place also um, delivers an experience, I mean, we all expect like good food, good right. drink, good service as a baseline. But if there's an experience there, um, whether it's the atmosphere or um, the owner and the staff and like what they, they bring to it, um, all, all the better. Um, and if the, you know, the craft beer is, um, the quality has got to be good or people aren't going to come back for it. But if there's, um, 
stuff that appeals to um, the audience they're going after, then people are going to turn out and support it. Let me, let me ask you this <laughs> to touch on something you said, but it's not good. So, well, you know, because, quite a setup. <laughs> well, no, I mean, you know, because I'm, I'm, I'm of the mind, I'll go to a brewery when they first open and I'm not going to judge them based on that first time. When you go to a brewery and you're like, hey, do you go back? Do you give them a second chance? Obviously, I feel like you're the type of person, but like they're getting their feet under them. What's, what's your thoughts when that happens? You go someplace, ah, that's not that great. Maybe I should wait six months. Well, yeah, and that, it's a fair question. Um, and it, it's a really good question. Um, I, I think people are too quick to judge. Um, <laughs> yes. And on top of I'll that, they're, they're too quick to want to share their opinion. Um, <laughs> and, that, and that's part of the democratization. Social media, of, yeah. Yes, of social media. It's like, you know, everybody has the chance to broadcast their opinion from one person to many. Um, and, and it's fair game, but, um, there's a difference between, you know, Joe beer drinker, you know, Jane beer drinker going in, uh, and giving their snap analysis versus, um, you know, a critic or, or somebody that's going to put more thought into it and take into, you know, into consideration, all these other factors. Um, and myself personally, um, if, I, if I'm writing about a place um, as a freelance writer, then I'm not really going in to critique, I'm going in to report and to share information. You know, who are they? What's the setup? What does it look like? What are the beers they offer? I don't right. report, you know, I don't get, offer my personal critique of is the beer good or not? Because that's not my role there. Personally, like when I go into a, a new brewery, um, I'm going to find things that I like and that I don't like, no matter where I go, whether right. it's emerging or established. Uh, if it's emerging, I, if they ask for my opinion, I'm going to give them my honest opinion and they can take it or leave it. And that's fine. Um, but I'm going to also kind of reserve judgment um, until I can come back six months later or right. however long, because I want them to succeed. I want them to grow and develop and, Part of that is getting the, the feedback loop, getting that input from customers right. about what you like and don't like, what sells best. Um, and it's, it's probably going to change and improve over time. Or not. <laughs> or not. <laughs> well, if it does it, then that takes care of itself. Well, you know, I mean, I, I, I can, I, this has been my experience, and I'm not going to name names. I've gone to a grand opening, and somebody's been really good or really bad, and I've gone back. And the bad one has gotten better and the good one has gotten worse. So, you know, as we all know, brewing, it's, it's, <laughs> it's like cooking. You can fuck it up a lot of ways. <laughs> True, absolutely. And this, I mean, kind of goes back to uh, something, a point I alluded to earlier was that, I mean, there's the brewing side of it, um, which if you're, you're dedicated, you get the feedback, you're working your craft, like you can improve on it. There's the tap room side, which is really hospitality and the service experience. Right. You can have a, you know, fantastic beers, but if you have a tap room or service experience that's average or off-putting, yeah. yeah. well, then that's going to impact your business overall. Right. And if you mismanage the business by making poor decisions or, you know, with 
the supply or the hours that you have or you know any number of factors and like that can impact the brewery as well um and i i mean i can think of a brewery or two where the beers were all right i had nothing to rave about but i would go back there for the beers but the service or the attitude of the ownership right um was a real turnoff and like well there are plenty of other options where i can get beer of equal quality if not better and i don't have to deal with you know these service issues or you know this attitude as a business owner yeah there's a there's a there's a there's a bar down downtown lee summit here that the service is terrible but the owners are awesome and and somehow that works <laughs> yes i mean you can be at the bar and try i mean one of my buddies uh shout out to tony at winship he ordered a Coke and a Guinness. He didn't get one of each. They combined them. We were like, <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Is that a new invention? <laughs> here's the, here's the follow-up. Did he drink it? He was going to, but then Lynn, we, you know, we were laughing about it, and somehow he got knocked over. So there's that. <laughs> uh, wow. You had said you had said earlier when we were when we were talking about kind of the factors of of why people go and you you were talking about experience and and those things. I, I want to ask a little bit because I think it fits into what you do. I think the other thing people go for is people like people like a good story. Yeah, absolutely. Do you? And this can go back to that influencer versus reporter, right? I mean, do you do you think you kind of play a role in that too, though, as you're as you're traveling around and telling the stories of these these places? Um. So, I mean, I, I won't deny that, I mean, a, a story, whether it's, it's printed or online, can bear some weight. It may influence people um, in their opinion of a place or whether they go out there to try it and support it. Um, but that's not my intent with writing and reporting on the business it's it's there to to tell a story once the story has been printed then it's kind of out of my control as far as how the the reader um takes it what they decide to do with it if it influences them or not which i think is a different approach versus i'm an influencer and i may have gotten paid by the business right. or not but i'm the conscious intent is I am there to influence people by the words and the photos and the messaging to um, one, follow me. Right. I mean, influencers, um, again, there's, there's a lot of them there, so I don't knock all of them, but um, for a lot of influencers, it's um, build your brand first, your brand, right. and then the business that they're um, going out to support and, at the same and, time though you like a good story i mean you, as a writer as a reporter you're Absolutely. looking for a good story and when you go into right. it and, and, and so i guess i really wasn't asking about like are you trying to be the influencer but but i mean is there a role in that kind of creating that that whole you know circle experience like people look for a good story and if you if you can tell that good story if you find that good story to write i mean is that that's kind of part of that world right that's yeah, absolutely i mean it's um uh, i want to report and it 
I mean, I've done it long enough to where I don't want to just kind of phone it in. I just do it by the numbers and report the basic stuff because, I mean, you can certainly do that as a template of, you know, mention this, no fun. this. And, but that's, that's boring for the reader and it's boring for me as a writer. So um, the challenge for me is um, can I, what's the best way for me to tell the story? Um, and that's asking good questions of the person that I'm interviewing to try to get out details that maybe some other publication or some other writer's not gonna get. Um, and do it in service of the story and in service of the business. Um, so you're, I, I, the way that I feel about it is it's, it's not an ego thing. I'm taking myself out of the process um, even though I'm writing this story, it's not about me telling the story. It's the focus is on the story and the business. Right. How can I tell that story the best way possible? That's honest. That's accurate. Objective. That's yeah. 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 So. I'm, I'm curious. I'm curious, you know, cause again, you have a lot of prongs to what you do. How did you get into, I know how I got into what I do for a living. How did you get into like writing and then you were like, oh, there's, there's beer, there's wine, there's food. How, how did that happen when you were younger? Do you, do you remember you were like, oh, this is what I should be doing? Um, ooh, I'll try to give you like the, the short version. Um, <laughs> Wait, like, there's no time limit on this show. Okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we lad. <laughs> I only have a couple of beers here, so. Um, so kind of coming out of college, um, I um, was a business major and I kind of fell into um, the financial services industry, um, working in several different roles. And I did that for about 10 years and I, it wasn't intentional. Um, and I, I enjoyed it and I learned a lot of things in terms of business skills, communication skills, how to be organized, how to, um, you know, and just personally like learning about mutual funds. But after 10 years, I got really burnt out and uh, realized that it wasn't feeding that creative part of me right. that I needed. Um, and it didn't matter how much money I'm making, how good the benefits were um, to stay in, in that field if I wasn't happy. So I started doing some research um, and just kind of a personal inventory of like, what am I passionate about? What do I care about? Right. It came down to um, food, um, writing, and travel. Um, so then I started um, investigating, like, all right, what are the career paths? And the first thing I thought about was um, food and I'm becoming a chef. So I, uh, I looked at culinary schools and um, did some interviews with various places. And then I decided before I spent the money and time on culinary school, let me get some um, practical experience. So um, I saved up some money. Um, did some planning, quit my corporate job, and then went to go work at a restaurant, uh, Le Fou Frog. I actually worked at a hotel restaurant first for about six months, and then got an opportunity to uh, jump over to Le Fou Frog yeah. um, in the River Market. Um, and then, um, you know, went hands-on, just a whole different, completely different environment from yeah. the corporate world. <laughs> kind of, kind of. You know, just you know, yell at you, and like it, it's physical and it's sensory, and um, 
it was just, it was amazing, but it was a great learning experience uh, to do that. Um, and after a few years, I realized while I loved it, it wasn't um, the life that I wanted um, and the lifestyle that I wanted. So I started to um, go back to my original um, research and career path and, and decided to pursue writing. So I took some um, classes at UMKC just to kind of explore. And then I eventually applied to grad school in Boston um, at Emerson College, got accepted in their um, writing program there, writing and publishing program, and uh, moved to Boston. I lived there for three years, got my master's in writing and publishing. And that um, was a really conscious decision to move outside of Kansas City to grow as a person, but also grow as a writer. So you're from you're from Kansas City. I am. Yeah, I grew up here. I lived here most of my life. Um, and so I was in Boston from 2000 to 2002. Um, got my master's, and while I was in Boston, I looked back at Kansas City and how it was just starting to really grow and flourish. This is when the Crossroads was first starting to take off, right. and restaurants like uh, Blue Stem were um, starting to emerge. Um, and so you had this flourishing. Um, restaurant scene and um, cocktail scene and art and music scene that I was seeing from a distance. I'm like, wow, that's really cool. And I missed that. Um, and then in the middle of my time in Boston, 9-11 uh, happened. And so, you know, the economy went to crap and um, there were no jobs available when I graduated and I was separated from all of my family and friends and, you know, it was an intense time. So, um, I decided to come back to Kansas City because uh, it was cheaper to live there. This is where my home was, where my base was. And I really wanted to apply my um, writing skills and um, to what was happening in Kansas City. Um, and I realized in, in graduate school, I also kind of realized that I could write about food and combine those passions, that the interest in food, interest in writing. Um, and this is all before... Um, the whole foodie movement um right. and, and that was so, right when like the the tv stuff was really starting to to ramp up yeah yeah i mean it was it was around the time like when the term food porn like just <laughs> started coming out i mean you kind of laugh at it now but like back then it was like it was this new new term and new yeah. phenomenon and there weren't nearly the number of people writing about food professionally back then unless you were um a restaurant critic for a newspaper um, right, right. between. So it's, um, I'll probably give you way more information that- No, I dig it. I, you know, I love the backstory because again- What was the, what was the, what was the moment though when, when, when you kind of went, yeah, this is it, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm doing it. Was there a, was there a story that you, um, you got to tell or was there just, was there, was there a moment when you, you were like, yeah, I'm home, this is it? Uh, yeah, it's, um, so after I got back and kind of got my feet settled, um, I realized that I wanted to start my own publication. Because um, at the time, there was, there was basically it was the Kansas City Star and The Pitch were the only two publications around town. There were a handful of magazines, but really nobody was covering hyper-local food, music, arts at the time. And so I had this idea of creating an online publication that had that hyper-local focus. And this is, again, like way before the whole support local movement came right. around. Uh, so I started a magazine called Present Magazine. Um, it was online only. 
and it covered local food, music, and arts. Um, and uh, ran that business for about seven years. And um, I, I, the act of like doing that and realizing that um, I'm doing what I love to do, I could tell stories and I could tell stories in unique and original ways, um, really opened my eyes. Um, so for example, like with Blue Stem, um, one of the first stories I, I wrote about them uh, was based on me being in the kitchen and kind of shadowing the whole the chef and the staff there for a day and taking notes and asking questions um, and then writing the story from the inside out. That's badass. Uh, in a way that like nobody <laughs> else that. would ever think of, of doing. Yeah. Or I wish to. I was with you. I, I would I would have brought a camera. That would have been awesome. Yeah, <laughs> we should re we should revisit that. <laughs> right, right. I mean, I and that was it was fun. Like um, that publication being able to tell a variety of stories in a variety of angles and not just the ABCs of right. um, newspaper journalism or the format of um, magazine journalism and and like. It was kind of a, a brave new world and um, incorporating video as part of the storytelling or having the right. space to do photo essays. Um, and, well, and, it, yeah. and digital digital publishing was a whole different thing than it was new. Like we were all figuring it out, like what to do with, right. with digital publishing. Yeah, and like social media um, didn't really exist the way we know it today. I mean, back then it was like, MySpace. Right. <laughs> then, you know, everybody had blogs. My like, blogger right. was all the rage. So everybody was trying to figure out how to tell stories um, in their own way back then, and um, you know, build followings. Um, and like you know, MySpace was just this kind of awkward. Um, right. That's the best that, word you can do for it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It didn't connect people in quite the same way no. as Facebook super, does now. Yeah. yeah it was super um, weird. Yeah. No, that's that's a great backstory. I mean, it's, it's interesting to me when somebody you started out in the financial markets and decided, no, I'm, I'm a creative because that's two different sides of the brain, right? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I you know I can appreciate that somebody's like, you know what, this is not for me. I should be doing something else because not everybody does that. Some people jump into a career and you know, 30 years later, like fuck, I want well, I want well, to be yeah. a hard decision to make. Yeah, yeah, it ain't that hard. <laughs> I mean, I guess it is, but I it's for not. Some people, I, 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 mean, I think for some people it is. I mean, you're probably right, but you know, I'm the I'm the type of person I'm like. This I, I, to do something I'm switching over to Bob's uh, 47. By the way. Oh, nice, nice. That's a good oh, call. That's a good. That's a good. That's a good. Uh, um, uh, segue. Oh, do I need next a next mystery beer? All right. Yeah. Um, yeah. That was kind of a good burp. It was a little forced. Yes. <laughs> you don't force burps. <laughs> you let them happen naturally. What do you, what do you have in the bag here? What do we got here? We're, we're, we're not doing the bomber bottles. Oh, <laughs> Look at that. This is another mystery beer. OKT. Yeah. That, that's my only hint. Yeah. That's, and, and that, you don't know what that means. I, I do know what it means. Oh, okay. It's actually an Oktoberfest that's not even out yet. It's from Grains and Taps. Ooh, wow. Yeah. Ooh. yeah. Little, little sneak preview. Yeah. Little, a, a sneaky preview. Hold a on, sneaky preview. <laughs> Nice. That was well done. I had to make up for the burp. Fair. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Pete, what's, uh, you know, not professionally, but like personally, do you have some favorite maybe restaurants in town and breweries and wineries? What, what, 
Because again, I can't just ask you one because you do a whole bunch of other shit. So what, 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 I'm I'm not saying your favorite, favorite, but you have, you probably have some things you're like, oh, those are my jam or whatever. Because you know, if if you didn't know, um, he shows up at, at, uh, at Transparent on, on Saturday and he's got a shirt that says, service fanboy <laughs> it's it, it's true he lo- he loves courtney service it's man true. he's in love with her I, I, there you go everyone everyone has I'm, been I'm, phenomenal i'm gonna say you're probably gonna be a close second because you tapped into his journalism love and so, <laughs> <laughs> so if a shirt shows up i'm a pete doolin fanboy don't be oh, surprised man. i'll send you a no. picture <laughs> uh, it would be an, an honor um, <laughs> would yeah. it wow you know what <laughs> I don't know that I would wear. Yeah. Um, <laughs> anyways, <laughs> I'm a, I'm a big fan of Courtney uh, Service and and her brewery as well. Um, it's I mean I don't make my way around town to all the breweries that I would like to. Um, you know, one because 2020 it's a pandemic, um, and also just there's so many breweries that have opened in the past. 12 months that it's hard to make it to every single brewery, especially the ones that are in the outlying areas. Um, but I'd love to get out and support them and see what they're doing. Um, whether like they're just like doing straightforward session beers or like, more adventurous stuff. Um, I, I think it's fantastic. So like, I love what Transparent's doing. Um, I'm excited to make it out to uh, a few of these other newer breweries um, that I haven't been able to, to hit yet. But I like going back to my standbys too. Um, like standbys. that big rip uh, last night. Um, they just released a beer that was in collaboration with Windshift. Windshift. How was that? And, uh, it was delicious. They did a beer, um, Windshift and Big Rip collaborated with uh, Chef Rick Mullins from Cafe Sebastian. And it was a, um, a farmhouse that where they incorporated um, pine needles in the beer. And then um, I saw that tweet last night. It was amazing. It was just really delicious. Um, so you got that kind of farmhouse character up front. Um, this really nice uh, kind of candy sugar sweetness in the middle. And then a little bit of that pine character on the finish uh, with a little hint of citrus. Wow. Um, yeah, there's a amazing. lot of layers going on. It sounds amazing. Well, yeah. let me ask you this, because it, it is a little unfair to say, you know, out of all of them that you go to, what's, what are some favorite, but what are, what are like, like taste wise, kind of what, what are you looking for? What do you, what do you really want to sit down and like style and grab? Yeah. Like styles and flavor profiles. Um, I'm, I'm pretty wide open. So what I don't necessarily like are like IPAs that are super hoppy and like super piney and dank. Like that's just not. My jam. I don't yeah, want jam, right. to blow out my palate um, with that. Um, and so I, I like, uh, you know, balanced IPAs, uh, IPAs that lean more towards the tropical fruity side. I dig sours. Um, when it's hot out, I love like really easy drinking, uh, you know, pills or lagers, Kolsch. Um, but I like, you know, I love stouts and triples. So, uh, if it's just a, if it's a really well done beer quality yes. wise, and yes. um, if it is balanced and like has really interesting sensory notes, that's what matters to me. So it's really more not me imposing what I want on a right. beer, but it's like trying to like come to each beer with a 
open mind and a blank slate, like, all right, what is this giving to me and appreciating it for what it is. And I think that's a different mindset because um, yes. so many people are trying to be so critical and be the authority and pronounce <laughs> this is not yeah. up to my standards. And then yeah. Yeah. one tapped or whatever, I'm like, you know, do what works for you. But I think that that robs um, some of the enjoyment out of just drinking the beer and experiencing it on a sensory level and like w trying to um, appreciate what the, the brewer is trying to deliver, what they're yes. trying to create. I mean, even, uh, even that Bob's 47 you have, that's not yeah. really my jam. That's a good beer. But it's, a, it's for, for the style that it is, it's a good beer, you yeah. know? And some people, you know, maybe, you know, that's why I like Nolan down at Transparent. He's like, I want to do more beer education. Right. Because so you, you got people out there who are like hating on a particular beer because that's not their style. Well, if you knew the style, then you would understand what you just tasted is the style. I don't like sours because it's sour. You mean I it's hate sours? sour. Well, this guy right here. <laughs> this would is, this is be, be episode, what, 14? 15. 15. Episode 15. He didn't like sours before the COVID. It took two episodes. Yeah. So he's a sour boy now. So uh, <laughs> I don't know what I was talking about. Well, now, you know what? I'm, you know, I'm going to say that. He's a whiskey guy, bourbon guy. So, you know, I, you know it's all about this is how the podcast started. Pete. We were at one of those hand in glove downtown the summit. Um, it, you know, it's coffee, coffee, cocktails, blah, blah, blah. You know, great decisions happen over alcohol. I was going to say that and food. So, you know, he didn't, I was like, I know where you are beer wise, but you're coachable. <laughs> <laughs> really? Here's, here's how it happened. Nigel came to me and he says, I got shit. I want to talk about that's, that's true. That would, that was his pitch. Full stop. There was nothing right. else to it. Did you use full stop? <laughs> like you're British? Really? Is that a British thing? Yes, that's a British thing. They don't say period. They say full stop. <laughs> Bloody hell. Bloody hell. It's the 19th century. <laughs> no, that's not actually. Growing okay. up in England, we said full stop. We didn't say period. I didn't know period until we got over here. Huh. 1977. Absolutely. I was two. Wow. You were two in 1977? Yeah. Well, sucks to be you. <laughs> Pete, let's let's uh, let's take a turn on this conversation. Sure. Um, you're you're a man about town. You've you've been writing and thinking about the beer community. We always talk about um, diversity. Um, you probably know that Des Jones just became the first. She became the the uh, assistant brewer at uh, at Torn uh, Label. At Torn Label, which is, as far as we know, is the first person of color to ever be. Professional brewer. Professional brewer. In Kansas City. Yeah. Much less a female. So, you know, we always talk about how we can make it more diverse. I don't, yeah. I don't know. What, have you ever, does that cross your mind? And you go into tap rooms, you're like, well, that's pretty white. <laughs> it's, um, I mean, it's not a conscious observation, um, but um, it, it's a fair one. And I think, um, but I think it's diversified too. I mean, honestly, if, if I were to do a, a survey or if I would have compared photographs of craft uh, beer drinkers at um, you know, Beer Station or some of the early tap rooms in 2010 or 2012 versus 
2019, I think it, it would be very different. Um, I, I think there's, it's more gender balanced. You're seeing a lot more um, women. Plenty of women. Different ages um, in um, tap rooms, drinking beer, um, as well as serving beer too. Um, and they're all knowledgeable uh, about it, which um, should be a, not a surprise to, to anybody because um, they have the same access to information. They can ask questions. They, um, you know, they're fans of craft beer too. Um, it's not as uh, diverse as I would like it to be, um, for sure. And I think that's, uh, you know, partially a reflection of um, Kansas City has a lot more diversity than I think most people realize. Yes. Most people don't see it because yes. a lot of people are stuck in the suburbs. Yep. Um, they're stuck in the bubble of their lives. Um, Very and true. And then you take that subset of craft brewing and like, all right, who are the people turning out for um, craft beer and going to openings and, and these events? And it's a much smaller um, group. You have you, the online craft beer fans, and then you have the people that are actually going to turn up and, and show up, right. which is a smaller subset or bubble. Um, and, you know, you recognize those faces. You, you see the same faces, and, and I love to see them, but they're not nearly enough. I would like to see right. more people. Yes, yeah, some new, new folks. We, we, we've, talked, we've talked a lot, uh, Nigel, before, and, and Pete in the show. There are a lot of... I, uh, uh, there's a lot of women brewers now, not a lot, but we've got what four, five, four, four, four. Yep. And, and there are more and more women. Is it, I'm not, I'm not sure the best way to ask this question, but is it easier to expand diversity through gender than it is race? Is that, a, are those two different things? I think they're two different things. I, th- I, th- I think again, I had this conversation, you know, before I got here, and it's, it's about an exposure thing. And I always go back to how I got into television news. I went on a field trip in the sixth grade to a TV studio. I'd watched TV before, but going and seeing behind the scenes, I was like, oh, there's more than one job than being just an anchor, right? So it's, it's for me, it's exposure because I got white friends, black friends, all the color of friends. And I got a few black friends who drink craft beer. I've got a lot of white friends who don't. It's, 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 it's exposure until, until I say, Hey, Nick, this is a sour. You're probably going to hate it at first. <laughs> you know, I, I think that's part of it is just people just don't know what it is. And it's, and, and a lot of times it's, it's right around the corner from your house. So. Right. It's, it, I think there's a lot of micro factors that kind of go into yeah. who shows up at the tap room, who is a fan of craft beer. Um, and it's, I think it's, it's fair to say that there isn't as much diversity as there could be. And I think that's a goal we can always strive for, um, broadening the audience for craft beer, um, no matter what your background is, race, gender, color, um, et cetera. Um, and on, you know, in the industry, whether you're brewing or serving or your ownership um, to um, help support those opportunities for growth too. Um, And I think there's a long way to go and we can always um, show up and and create opportunities to, um, for 
to support people that that have that interest. Um, it's as far as like diversity with craft brewing, you know, people that want to be brewers, uh, people of color. Um, I personally, I don't know that many. I don't know anybody, honestly, um, outside of maybe one person that would have an interest in becoming a professional brewer, but that's like my very narrow, like personal experience. Um, so it's as a profession, um, I, I would love to see more, more people of color become professional brewers. Um, but I don't know that many people in the local craft beer world that want to step up and um, get the education, take the risk, figure out how to um, make that leap um, business wise. Yeah. I just, I I, I think that, yeah, I don't think it's just, it's not, it's not a thing that's known. Well, I think though a good point was brought up a a few weeks ago when we were talking to the the drinking partners guys, right? um, where they talked about, it's the same thing you just talked about with, with, with TV news, there's more than one job out there. there it, it's a big industry yeah, and yeah, it's yeah. not, it, you know, they were talking about, we, we, we only need more black brewers. We need black people in the, in the distribution side. In, in we need, business. we need black people in the running the business side. So I think it's, I, I, back to what you said about TV news, there, there are a lot of different aspects and pieces of that business that, that we need to, and I, I, I'm using the collective we here, you know, need to have open access to no i think you know i think it's i think it's a we thing i think you know anybody can can be a part of i don't care know, what it is fo- fostering create change access. Or, you know you know the, the reason my kids know about craft beer because i work in craft beer you know of course then again you know, shout out to my son micah i've been telling him go work at a brewery bro get some money you know, I, you know, I've been in the service industry for a year that was a terrible well, first week this week <laughs> I had, you know, I, I have an appreciation for service people now that yeah. I did not have before. Um, and then it was so funny because my daughter, right before she went off to Mizzou, got into the service industry, which I was totally surprised. And then we, we could have conversations about bad tips. Because <laughs> 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 we know that's a thing out there, right? <laughs> Absolutely. But, um, you know. Yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, within the industry, I think it's important to foster this culture of inclusivity um, and to be open about, you know, that messaging and um, to welcome people, whether you're a craft beer drinker or potential craft beer drinker or somebody that wants to work in the industry, whether it's um, pouring beers or on the sales distribution side or learning about brewing. so that, I mean, that's what can be done within the industry. And then, um, you know, creating education events or outreach events. Yes. Um, yes. So that people that may have a interest or may not even realize it, you know, can show up, have some beers, um, socialize, have a good time, and then start those conversations because you never know where they, they can lead. Um, and. Right. Uh, and then, you know, honestly, Nigel, like, you know, people like yourself that are, that are out there that are representing, um, I think is, um, an important factor as well. I'm going to give you a, a lot of props that you're doing it for y- your own reasons. Cause you have a love of, of beer and you're a yeah. social person, but just 
your visibility, your presence um, means a lot. Um, and I, I love seeing you out. I mean, whether it's just running into you at Transparent or at a beer right. festival, uh, <laughs> because I'm always happy to see you. Like you're, you're Likewise. a great guy. Likewise. But uh, it's important to me, uh, you know, in that spirit of broadening the audience for craft beer, right. to see you and other people of color out there. Um, I mean, I'm Asian American myself, and I don't like go overboard identity-wise and trying to make a big splash about that. I I don't necessarily look that Asian, so I don't really kind of push that all that much. But honestly, I it would be fantastic like to see. Asian brewers and Latino brewers and like people of all yes. different backgrounds jumping in because they're going to bring um, different yes. uh, perspectives, different sensory experiences, different takes on tradition. Oh yeah. Uh, so the more the merrier. Absolutely. Well, and the nice thing here, in, in, at least in, in our area where we are right here too, there's a, we have several that are from the LGBT community as well, which, which, you know, I, I, you know, Kansas city, at least I've been all over the country and Kansas City beer community, to me, is one of the most diverse. It really is. Now, I'm talking maybe, you know, we have female brewers and that sort of thing. Because, you know, even the guys from Pittsburgh, they were like, we have none of those. Right. <laughs> we don't have anything. Yeah, when we were, when we were talking about, about talking to a black brewer, talking to female oh. brewers, they were like, what? Right. No, yeah, that, that was not even a thing for them. And most places I've been, that's not a thing. But, again... You know, I appreciate the, the 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 love, but you're right. It's I don't I'm 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 not in it for any sort of purpose. I'm just I'm like, well, listen, this, this why shouldn't it be diverse? Why not? Everybody drinks beer, as I learned last year at Fresh Fest in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Black people drink beer. I went to this beer festival. They did symposiums the day before the festival. I walked into a ballroom. Um. It was 99% black beer people, which I was fucking blown away. And they did a symposium. The first one was like, how do we make craft beer diverse, right? We took a break. Everybody went downstairs to the hotel bar. I got to meet all these amazing people. We go back up. Then they did a symposium. So you want to start a brewery? Here are all the black people who have done it. So out of the 50 or 55 black-owned breweries in the United States, they had 30 of them there. I was blown away because I had never, I had never seen that. Right. You know, I know the black community, the people who are in the beer community are black in Kansas city. You know, it's probably 20, 20 folks, maybe 25. I that, that ballroom was 300 people from all over the country, from West coast, East coast. Um, granted Atlanta has a, has a lot of black owned breweries, but you know, it's, it's one of those things where, I think the Midwest can be late adopters on some shit. Oh, totally. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Because, I mean, we're so behind the curve on, I mean, like, it's, like I said, San Antonio has 14 breweries. And they're bigger than Kansas City. What the hell? I mean, I think we, you know, we can look to the coast and see, oh, they're doing this, that, and that. But, you know, we can forge our own way. And I think that's, that's the plan because I have a lot of buy-in from brewers around Kansas City who are like, Whatever you want to do, we will do whatever. So, uh, fuck you, COVID. Because <laughs> <laughs> I had some plans, right? And now you can't get a, a group of people together. But, you know, my, my goal, Pete, is to 
go into spaces where they don't traditionally traditionally get craft beer. And and I've had commitments from breweries like, hey, we'll just give you the beer and you you know taste it. Because again, I keep going back to this 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 reference or this example. Boulevard and Amamater, they're in a, in a Latino area. They are. Yeah. And when I ask Nick Mater, I say this every time. I'm like, did you have do you have anybody the that comes in there that's you know Latin? Very rarely. Very rarely. I mean, certainly he had nobody apply for a job there because they're not they're not. Half the time when I drive by Alma Mater, people don't even realize it's a brewery. Right. Because it's in a, you know, that building, unless you know. Yeah, it looks industrial. Yeah. So again, is it his job to do outreach? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But I think. I think the answer is always yes. True. Whoever you're talking to, no matter what their role is, yeah. is it your job? Yes. But I mean, a place like that, even Boulevard. Generally, when I go on Boulevard, I'm. It's me and uh, um, Ron Freeman, who works there. <laughs> That's the only brothers in there. And then, just what I love about Kansas City, is generally 65% women, which is fine. But, you know, I don't have a problem walking in there. But I do have some, some black friends who, who will walk into a place where it's all white and not be comfortable. I don't give a rip. Flip side of that, I probably got some white friends who would, couldn't walk into a black, all black establishment and feel comfortable. So, you know, you kind of have to take people where they are and, you know, coach them up and be like, okay, this is, this is a thing in Kansas city. But I don't, again, I don't think we're doing that enough to get enough people of whatever race into craft beer. Right. Exactly. No, it's, it's a, it's a job, but I think it's doable because again, the craft beer community is very, welcoming and very open to that so it, it is um i think to an ex- extent um and it's um i mean nick you're you know saying you know uh, absolutely um and i agree but it's also like you know if you're establishing a business and trying to get it up and running and you know as a business owner like and you're opening a brewery like first and foremost like all right make the best beer that you can and then sell it to be profitable and be able to survive, which is probably going to suck up, you know, a hundred to 110% of your time right. early on. Um, and so, yes, like you do want that outreach um, um, as well, but like maybe that comes a little bit later down the road. Right. Uh, of course, you know, from the get go, if you have people knocking on your door, of different races, different backgrounds, whatever, then hopefully you're open to that and, um, and welcoming too. Um, but I, I think, uh, you part of the conversation is again, kind of like meeting people where they are that goes to the business owner as well. Like if you're just starting up, um, and trying to get established, you're in a different position than right. Boulevard that's been around for a long time and has right. different resources and different focus. Um, but I, uh, there are plenty of opportunities that could be um, taken to um, initiate that discussion, welcome people, right. create um, you know, outreach. Um, and I, I think that needs to be an ongoing effort at all different levels yeah. um, to make it happen. I, I think you're right, the ongoing at different levels. And I, and I completely, as a, 
as a small business owner, I can tell you, and, and you used to, run a, used to run a publication too, right? That a lot of times when you're starting out, you're, you're, you know, you're going to take your buddies that are going to work for cheap and, right. <laughs> and help you out. And, 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 and I get all that, but I think the broader conversation or for people that look like me, right? No matter what you're doing, whether you're, you're the owner, whether you're the patron, I think the question is, should you do more? It should absolutely be yes. But at I, the but same I, time, like, like, and I'll say this though, even if, if, if I'm opening a restaurant, I mean, I don't want to talk down to, to, to Mater. That's not what this is to, to Alma Mater, but, but if you're opening a business in a Latino neighborhood, isn't it good business to, while you're doing that, to reach out and, and say, Hey, if I go hire a couple of these people, I'm getting their business, that neighborhood's business too. I mean, that, that's fair, but I think sometimes, I mean, this is kind of the conversation we're having, having in this country right now. You know, you being a white guy, that may not be on your radar. It may not even cross your mind. You're trying to start a business. I come, I come at it from a different perspective because I'm in these tap rooms. I'm like, well, surely we can have some people of color. So again, it's on an individual basis, but who knows what that person is thinking when they open a brewery. I guess my point is that people that look like me, it should be, we should be thinking about it. Yeah. And that, <laughs> and that goes to the broader, like you just said, the broader conversation we're kind of starting, starting to finally have in this yeah. country and, and, is yeah. that is it. And, and that goes to, I don't, I don't want to break into all the politics and, and like kill all of our listeners. But I mean, that's, that's the conversation about privilege, right? Exactly. So, but again, that privilege is, you don't know it unless you're super aware about, oh, yeah, I have it. Most people are, you know, most white people bitch about it because they're, I don't have any privilege because you've never considered that. Right. That's all that is. It doesn't make you a bad person. That's not something you consider. Whereas, you know, as, as uh, there's this great uh, YouTube, this guy, he's, he's a former NFL player and he does this thing called um, – uncomfortable uncomfortable conversations with a black man it's, it's a great and listen. and he had somebody who was like well we're jewish just that and the other and the other well me, pete if i meet you walking down the street i don't know what i don't know if you're jewish or not you know i'm black <laughs> i can't get away from that right so right. that's 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 part of it so you know king talked about this i mean that's what i'm saying king speeches he talked about this where it's where it's sometimes the racism that you don't realize is racism right. is worse than the willful oh absolutely so, so I mean, this isn't know, new. I can't, I can't hide from this, the color of my skin. Um, and if, if you have bias or you're racist or whatever you have, you can't not see it. So it's a, it's a crazy world right now, but I do love that we're having the conversations about, okay, just be aware that black lives matter. Well, while we're recording this right now, Yes. The NBA playoffs are on hold. Absolutely, because of that. The Milwaukee Bucks said, we're not playing. Yeah. And then the rest of the team said, you know what? You're right. So, you know. <laughs> but, you know, again, I think the, the, the brewing community is probably a microcosm of the world. Um, again, I don't think everybody's racist. I don't think – I think everybody has bias. Hell, I have bias, you know. That's your British background. Yeah, well, there's that too. Good. Well, you know, let's uh, don't get it, don't get it twisted. <laughs> Pete, you may not know this. Born and raised in England, I have a green card, British citizen. You know, anybody that's in this country, I'm like, you're all squatters. <laughs> he still holds a grudge, by the way. <laughs> you escaped our our rule, okay? <laughs> so anyway, I throw, um, before we we move on, and I don't sure. want to dwell on this forever, but I I I think that there's another wrinkle to it as far as like 
uh, craft breweries that are um, about to open or newly opened that are just kind of getting their, their feet under them, you know, that are a year or less old. Um, and I mean, Alma Mater has been brought up, so I'm going to use them as an example, not... Um, we love Alma Mater. Let's, let's yeah, yeah. I, I do too. Yeah, love their beer. Um, you know, so when you're, you're opening as a small business like theirs, it's like, all right, you've got the, the owner who's often like the head brewer, right. and then a really small team. Right. And like the people on that team out of the gate are people that have um, craft beer experience. experience. The service yeah. side um, or other skills. And I think that, I mean, it makes sense to, if you only have the budget, the resources to start off with one or two employees that you go with people that you know that can help um, right. run the business, help grow the business. And from a purely like business standpoint, that makes sense to me. Absolutely. Um, versus, oh, I'm in this neighborhood. I need to hire somebody from this neighborhood to increase my audience. And they don't know a single thing about craft beer. Now, with that said, I think as you get established, as you, um, you know, try to integrate in that neighborhood and just within your community at large, there is an opportunity to, um, to create opportunities, whether it's an yep. internship program or an open house or what have you. And like, Hey, this is who we are. This is, um, you know, a pathway to get a foothold in the industry and, and, talk with the, the neighbors, people in that community, or just anyone that's interested in craft beer. Um, and then you have that opportunity for diversity and, and to bring people in from different backgrounds. Right. So I think there's a pathway to expand it. Yep. I mean, it may be uh, not immediately available when you're just trying to get the business off the ground. Oh, I, I would never, I, I would never say that once. Absolutely. Look, you don't open, you don't start a new business yeah. without the love of friends and family. Oh, I mean, like, like, yeah. Right. I mean, you're going to go to people that you know and you trust and, and people that help you out. I, I, I get that. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. That's a, that's a, that's a, that's a goal that you do down the line when you're in the, but again, you know, but it's a con, it, it needs to be a conscious effort at some point. But I, I like your, I like your, your train of thought there, Pete, because you're, you're right. You pre present, some opportunity, whether it be open house to, or, you know, or whatever to be like, Hey, this is here. This is an industry that we need to get some other people in. So that, I don't disagree. I, I yeah. you know, cause you know, I, I know, I know too many people who have opened breweries. I'm like, how the fuck do you even do it? Yeah. You know? I mean, that's how I ended up working at Windshift because Tony and Lynn husband and wife team running it themselves. And I'm sitting in there drinking a beer. I'm like, you guys need some help. <laughs> A year yeah. later, here I am, you know. Well, I can't even imagine. I mean, just that's the the effort plus the cost of yeah. opening a brewery. Yeah. God love them. <laughs> yeah. God love them. Well, always be building bridges is, is kind of the, the takeaway there. Is Absolutely. Wherever stage you are, is like always be open to opportunities. Yep. Always have the outreach. And, um, and I mean, it, it, it's, it's, it's kind of like the rules of my life. Rule number one. Don't die. Don't die. Pete, you know what rule number one? New, rule number two is? Don't be a dick. <laughs> <laughs> I want to get into, um, you have this whole wine thing going on. You work at a winery. I do. Yes. 
So tell uh, us about what, what, how the wine, I mean, I mean, it makes sense, wine, beer, food. What winery do you work at and what do you do? Sure. So I work at a fence-style vineyards and winery. It is based in Excelsior Springs, about 40 minutes north of downtown Kansas City. We do sell those at uh, Windshift, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, so it was established in 2009. We've been around um, 11 years now. And um, so I started working there just over three years ago. Um, and I found the winery when I was researching my book, Expedition of Thirst, the travel guidebook. Because I, I tried to visit as many of the businesses um, in the book as possible. Um, went up there, met the owner, saw the space. It was just this really beautiful, picturesque um, winery and vineyards. They've got 10 acres of vineyard there. And nice. uh, I really like the wines, too. Like They produce primarily dry and semi-dry wines, which is a little unusual for... Because people wine. hate on Missouri wines, don't they? Uh, they do. Like There's this stereotype <laughs> there of yes. um, a lot of sweet wines um, or just poor quality wines. Um, there are definitely plenty of sweet wines throughout uh, the Midwest uh, for historical reasons or just with the modern market. That's what uh, some wineries think people want uh, and of course that's not true there if there is an audience for sweet wines there are plenty of uh wine drinkers around the world that like dry and semi-dry wines too um, so that's what we specialize in at fence style um, so once i had uh, kind of did my book research uh i got to know the owner she learned about my background um, on the culinary side as well as the writing communication side and she saw an opportunity there. So that was kind of her outreach. Um, brought me in, I started working there on a part-time basis while I was freelance writing. And then eventually I uh, kind of flipped roles where I'm at the winery full-time now and write on the side part-time. And uh, I do, my title is like um, brand events manager, but um, it really kind of boils down to um, building brand relationships with retail and restaurants. Right. Uh, I work um, behind the bar um, on the weekends, Thursday through Sunday. I'm the chef there as well. So I incorporate my culinary oh, wow. skills. Wow. Um, I do tours out there. Um, we have 90 minute tours of our winery and wine caves. Um, so I incorporate a lot of um, information about our wine, the terroir, um, little history um, as well. And then um, help out in the winery as needed um, when we're either bottling or doing production and then help out in the vineyards, uh, especially for harvest, which is coming up just uh, around the corner. Your title doesn't cover everything, by the way. <laughs> oh you God. might need to change that title. You might be, you might be Jamaican. <laughs> got 24 job men. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah, so it's a variety of stuff. And I, I mean, I don't want to make it sound like I do everything there because I certainly don't. Um, I mean, the owner, she uh, has a full-time job herself and she runs this business um, and, is, and does an amazing job of it. And then we have a full-time figure manager and then um, a great part-time team um, working in the tasting room as well as in um, the vineyards too. So it's a, it's a team effort, but Sounds awesome. I'm one of two full-time employees. So it's by nature, like you need to wear a lot of different hats and jump in when you're needed. 
Um, but it's a great learning opportunity. Yeah. What, what's, uh, what, I got two questions because it's a wine question and it's a chef question. What's your, what's your, you have a go-to dish and what's the correlation between beer and wine in your opinion? Ooh, I like that. Hmm. Um, it's, uh, I don't know. As far as a go-to dish. If we came to your house and we're like, cook us your thing, what would you cook? Honestly, it would it'd probably be Thai food, which, um, oh, nice. that, that know By the me. way, I'm making that shirt to head right now. <laughs> <laughs> the Pete Doolin fan shirt is coming, fanboy. So uh, I, uh, I mentioned earlier that I'm Asian American. So um, I'm half Thai. Uh, my mom comes from Thailand. Um, I was born here. Um, so I have this um, Thai background. And like if you were to come to my home or I either cook at your home, I probably would make Thai food, um, which would be like more home style versus what you would eat at a restaurant. Well, yeah. Um, <laughs> I hope so. Yeah. 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 Um, Sorry, I like the correlation between beer and wine. Um, there's, uh, I mean, there's a lot of correlations, uh, really, whether, you know, there are, you know, your big kind of manufacturers all the way down to the, the craft focused. And what appeals to me about bed style is like, it's really more craft focused versus mass manufacturing. Right. Um, we're doing some really cool stuff. Um, it's a different um production cycle i i guess um for lack of a better term is where with beer you bring in all of your ingredients your grain your yeast um your hops where as a winery if you have your own vineyards like we do there's the vineyard side of it which is agriculture so like you're working year round to harvest one time a year everything that you do for about 10 months goes into about six weeks of harvest. And then the grapes that you get and the juice that you get from those grapes is what you're gonna use to make your wine out of. So there's a lot that's, that's happening just to get those grapes in the best condition possible to get the best juice out of it. Um, we like to say it's, it's hard to make great wine out of you know average grapes, average juice. Right. So, um, there's the, the agricultural side of it. And then there's the production or manufacturing side of like making the wine, um, which is a craft unto itself. And that's where the owner comes in. Um, Shreedy Plimpton, um, she's the owner and the winemaker in makes some, you know, really tough decisions on, um, how to make the most out of the grapes that she gets each year. Because part of it's in our hands, part of it's in nature's hands. Right. And then, um, you know, once the wine's made, it, it's um, the hospitality and service side of it too. Um, selling the wine, welcoming people to your, your place. They um, seem like so, very different businesses. Well, I, I mean, yes and no. It's, I mean, there are definitely differences there um, because, I mean, what brewery grows their own grain? Or gross own hops. Right, right. None that I know of, unless like you're a really small craft place. Right. Um, so but like when you get to like the the other end of it, as far as like selling the beer or selling the wine, you have your tasting room experience or your mm-hmm. your tap room experience, and I think that's where there's a lot of uh, correlation there. 
Um, you want to welcome people to your place. You want to provide a high level of service. There's the education level. Yes. So people may not understand all these different styles of craft beer. Wine drinkers can come to your, your tasting room. Like they don't know what this variety of grape is versus Cabernet Sauvignon that they're familiar with. So there's, you have to meet them where they are. Um, do some education, um, understand, you know, all right, you, you don't know the varieties of grapes. That's fine. What do you like to drink? And then that's what we do in the tap room. Right. And Same then meet them from there. Um, and then it's really like getting them to find something they're going to enjoy, drink what you like, like what you drink, and then have a good time, create this experience. Um, and that goes back to the service, the setting, the whole environment. Um, so it's not just about, do you like the wine or not? Do you like the beer or not? So you like I, it because it was wet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Thank you. <laughs> do you have a favorite wine, like a style? Um, I don't, I, I it's kind of like craft beer. So I'm, I'm a pretty equal opportunity, um, drinker. Um, so it kind of depends on, uh, the time of year, the mood that I'm in. Am I having it with hold or on. without food? Will you hold on? Let's, let's keep it real. Will you All drink right. a stout in the summer? Sure, absolutely. Okay, good. Okay, good. Now you're good. Because <laughs> you know the people out there are like, I can't drink a stout in the summer. I'm like, you're wrong. Yeah. If you pour coke in it, I may not drink it, but <laughs> <laughs> that's only for Tony and Lynn. Just that. Right. Oh, I, yeah. Well, I you know, and I always say that if I like it, I don't care what time of year it is. I'm going to drink it. Yeah. Let's do a mystery uh, beer. One more. Not, it's not a brown paper bag. I don't know if I can do this. This well, kind of I, breaks I, tradition. I'm, I'm running out of brown paper bags. I, I gave you why. an extra one last week. Yeah. <laughs> this, this is the creme of the creme of the night. Tiramisu white stout. Oh, it's another white stout. Who's this from? From Windshift. Yeah. yeah this is a, well, like, we can say this pretty much about all the breweries around here, but nobody misses. I mean, I've had very few beers that are real misses. I mean, I like the style. I'm, I'm probably not going to bring you any misses. Well, that's true. I'm going to bring you some good shit. I'm just, <laughs> <laughs> I want you to be, I don't want you to be like, now I'm going back to bourbon. No. <laughs> well, look, look. I will always love Do it. Bourbon. Get it up there. Get it I up there. I will always love my bourbon. Yeah. I know you will. Good job. So this particular beer. That is a beer, lovely sound. Um, it's Tony's, I think it's his second white style. It's ridiculous. It's so ridiculous. Have you, have you had this one, Pete? Yeah, it's a delicious beer. Yeah, it's stupid. <laughs> I, I, literally, when they when they they put it on the tap last last uh, Thursday, I think we went through oh, like in a day, like twenty cases of it. Yeah, it's ridiculous. This is right up your alley. Oh, wow! <laughs> I describe this beer for people that are. I don't listen. describe beer. Like, no, let's let's try it. Let's like I'm Pete, just gonna tell you that. Pete, I like your style. Let's like, let's 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 get I can a description. Write, but I'm not gonna describe beer. Words are hard, but you can do it. Come on, give us some. All right, give us some. What do you smell? What do you smell? Oh, there's definitely like some cocoa nibs in there. Fair. What else? What else you got? Little coffee. Yeah. Little coffee in yep. there. The coffee's from uh, Quinto from Crane Brewing. Really? Yes. Which really took it up a notch. Nice. Is that vanilla? Yes. Look, uh, look at him. He's he's got a little palate. All right, look, he? look. Hey. Um, I might be one of those foodie people that he doesn't really like. 
<laughs> Does the beer have any sweetness, or is it fairly is it dry? No, it's got some sweet to it. I I, I think the, uh, the 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 tiramisu name is is pretty apropos. Okay, you're doing a good it's job. A, it's, a, it's a dessert beer. I think I might have a tear coming down. <laughs> is it light bodied or is it like medium or full bodied? I don't know what I'd give that one. I, 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 I'm not going to answer that one. <laughs> I got nothing on that. It's kind of it's a medium body. Yeah. I mean, it's not light, but it's not heavy like a regular stout. So you're you're still getting the coffee. And, and no, I really think everything you think of when you say tiramisu. That's yeah. That that's yeah, the I mean, point. I yes. mean, it is a perfect name. Yes. For this beer. Shout, shout out to Tony. I mean. Awesome. And, and look, and I look. I know what these guys do when they try to come up with funky names and they try to be original, but rarely is it that kind of dead on as to this is what you're going to drink. I, w- I will say this about Tony. And I know he listens to this podcast and I love that dude. None of this is a surprise. <laughs> 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 I've known him for, I think seven years, ZZ hops. And he was, you know, we would have the meetings. He was one of those guys. There were certain people, they would come to the meeting and bring their home brews. And we'd be like, Oh, what did Tony bring? What did Mac bring? What did Sean bring? What did, you know, just, you knew. Sean's not making it anymore. Sean who? At Diametric? Oh, okay. Sorry. I was thinking different Sean. What's Sean you thinking? Uh, McCambridge. Yeah. Shout out to Sean McCambridge. He's a good brewer. He's a really good brewer. He was a, a good brewer. He's sort of family. Yeah. Oh, okay. Right on. So, Pete, what's on the horizon for you? You're going you're to write another book? What are, what are you doing? What, what's, what's, what's going on in, in the mind of, of Pete Doolin? Let me ask it this way. Is there, is there a story you're getting ready to tell? Can you tease us with something you're oh, yeah. working There's on? A, I was there for the story. Have you put that out yet? Um, I did, about Transparent. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that story, that's been out since uh, last weekend when they – they opened up. Oh, so you put it out on the weekend. So yeah. where, uh, for the for the people who don't know, where where does your stuff end up? Um, most of it right now um, is on Feast Magazine, uh, so gotcha. feastmagazine.com. Um, so I I did a story about uh, transparent brewing, a separate story um, about the Chive uh, nice. Cafe, which is related. Um, there's also a story about. Um, a new product from uh, Boulevard. They're doing this um, collaboration with a distillery called the uh, Midnight Ritual that where they're taking unfiltered wheat um, before fermentation and they shipped it up to this distillery and I think it's in Iowa. I, I have to double check my story. And then um, it's foundry distilling and they, uh, they distilled the unfiltered wheat um, again like just the wart and then aged it um, in uh, oak barrels oh shit and they're getting ready to release it in september and i can't wait to try it huh wow that, that's yeah that's, that's a great one yeah so you can find that curious magazine um to get more details about it um and so I'm then, curious. I'm yeah. curious. Like you write for Feast, but I know uh, several other people write for Feast. Is that a regional thing? What? How's that work? Yeah. So it's, all freelancers? Uh, um, no. I mean, they do have a, a staff there. So they're based in St. Louis. Um, that's where they originated in uh, 2014. They expanded to become a regional publication. Gotcha. So 
they have writers in Kansas City, St. Louis, Springfield, um, and then um, it's a print magazine monthly, and then they have the online website um, and published stories, some that are um, based in St. Louis, some based in Kansas City right. or mid-Missouri. So they really kind of cover um, the region of the state of Missouri, a little bit of uh, Kansas, a little bit of Illinois um, as well. Yeah, it's, 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 it's good reading generally. I really, it, I really it's like good, but it. I'm glad you said that there's still a print because I thought I had heard somebody tell me that they were stopping the print product. No. So that's not, good. Uh, yeah, yeah, they still come out on a monthly basis. Um, it's a good resource for like, what's happening um, in, uh, in the area. Um, and if you can't get a copy of the print, um, you can always look online because they're publishing a lot of stuff online that won't necessarily see print. Um, and there's just so much happening. Um, in Kansas City, as well as elsewhere in the state. Right. So a lot of good content there. So so where can people find you? If, if we're going to look up Pete Doolin, where do we find you on the interwebs? Well, you can find me uh, on my website, PeteDoolin.com, D-U-L-I-N. Um, and then, of course, I'm on uh, Facebook and once in a while on Twitter as well. Um, oh, you, need, you need to be on Twitter way more. Twitter's uh, way more fun. <laughs> I like to hop in there once in a while. I, I kind of go through uh, phases where I, all right, I'm, I'm into my Twitter mode and I, I keep up with it. And then life happens, I get busy and I don't keep up. So hey, it's um, only 182 characters. You don't need time. I feel to do like, that. though, I always feel like I have to pick one. Like, I can't, I'm not, I cannot be good at using more than one yeah. social media. Like, I, str- I, I, struggle, I struggle with in- Instagram. Um, too yeah. many pictures. Instagram as well. Um, but uh, so especially like when I was promoting books and promoting uh, writing, I, right. I used, uh, like my, I have my personal account on Facebook and then I have a Facebook page and then I had Twitter and I used all of those to kind of promote my books and my writing. Um, but then it kind of got to be like, too much um, after a few years of like, yeah. I, I feel like I'm constantly working. And then I opened uh, an Instagram account um, and I just, like that's like my visual breaks. Like I'm just gonna post stuff there that's not, <laughs> not related to my books. Um, only follow stuff that I thought was interesting to look at. Right. Um, so. so. Do you so, have a? Do you have a? Uh, is there? Is there a new book plan? Do you have a new idea you're working on? Um, I do. I've got probably four or five different ideas. <laughs> like a true creative. Yeah. Always uh, got projects. Right. So. Um, the one that I'm most inclined to work on, I, I started doing a little bit of research, um, is it, it's kind of related to um, alcohol, but it, it, so the idea is uh, to follow the, the lifespan of oak barrels. So oak barrels Love are that. used in yeah. brewing, distilling, wine. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And the thought is to, um, go to um, the, the places in uh, southern Missouri where white oak is grown, that all American oak is white oak. Right. Uh, we have this abundant resource in southern Missouri. So it would follow the lifespan of the oak that um, is grown, uh, what makes it unique um, as far as that wood for making barrels out of, um, follow it, the, the path from um, cutting it down to the sawmill, the lumberyard, 
and then the cooperage that built the barrels yeah and then follow it from there to breweries wineries distilleries and talk about um oak barrels through the perspective of every um person in industry that has an impact on it i love it that would be really cool i mean to that, follow like one that's pete that's a documentary you know i'm a, I'm a filmmaker that's a documentary right there, bro oh my god that would be that would yeah. be amazing so what yeah. other than other than flavor what is it that makes oak the right choice for 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 all of this do you know yeah or, or is that something you're going to find out <laughs> well i mean i can tell you like the, the short version this is something i tell people on our tours at um fun style vineyards and winery as well um because we have wine caves there and that's where we store our bottled and barreled wines so at the end of the tour, like you wind up in the room where we have all of our uh, wine and barrels. Um, so it's not just any type of oak. It's specifically, it's white oak. Um, white oak is um, dense, and there's this substance in the cellular structure called tylosis. And tylosis makes the wood naturally watertight. <laughs> so it's good for holding liquid. Um, people all the way back in the late 1800s uh, figured this out. So they started making buckets and barrels um, to hold liquid out of. Um, the other characteristic that's important is that white oak doesn't have any off uh, flavors or aromas. So um, other types of oak, like red oak, you cut it down, you smell that fresh cut wood, it smells like cat piss. <laughs> no way like, you would want your whiskey or your beer or wine there's a cat spit stout but not a cat piss stout to cat piss so yeah I mean there's you know there's different types of oak there's different other types of wood but they're not necessarily watertight or they're not strong enough or they have um, off uh, flavors or aromas that would impact the liquid that they would hold if they it was made into a barrel um so there's uh, white oak is um common throughout southern missouri it, it's on the eastern seaboard like in kentucky so um folks out east are using that same type of wood to make barrels in the bourbon industry um and in missouri there are uh, cooperages that build barrels for wineries breweries and distilleries all across the u.s and even overseas made from um that white oak source from missouri yeah that sounds like a really really awesome story i mean just as as, as another storyteller like i'm the the, the the that's awesome i'm if, a little jealous of that if one. you were a cooperage I, I i would i would be good at that shit i think that, that's a, that's a skill that's oh a, it is that's i've watched that shit i'm like somebody who makes the barrels mm -hmm. oh it's ridiculous I yeah. mean, you you're a true artisan to do that shit i'm like i'm pretty sure we've gotten smarter on this episode <laughs> Look, I'm not. I'm not going to be that bold. <laughs> no, no, no. I've learned some shit I didn't know. Okay, that uh, sounds. Like, that sounds like a really, really not only cool story to hear, but but for you, I think a really neat story to tell. And 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 you can, bro, you can dig in so many things. Seriously, when you get ready to do that, I would love to like do. We could do a, like a short doc. That'd be simple. It's yeah, so visual. Yeah. yeah, I definitely have. Um, so the kind of concept or marketing plan for this is i mean one do the research which probably will take a couple of years um get the book written and then long term i really i want to be able to sell the rights to the book and like make it into like a 
documentary that could be on. I'm in. Yeah. I'm in. So thinking bigger. I'm in. That's because I just know how visual that would be. And and the interviews of people who were in that that process, you know, they're passionate about that shit. Yeah. You talk about storytelling. That's what you want. Well, we, we, you and I have had that podcast before. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I think a year or two ago, um, had the opportunity to take an industry tour down to Southern Missouri. And uh, the Cooperage took us all um, down to the forest where the white oak is. Oh, wow. The master lumber there and his crew cutting down the wood. So I actually got to. There's a guy the- called Master of Lumber? Uh, master lumberer yeah master lumberer mm-hmm. i have never heard that yeah yeah i mean i could lumberjack um you know some master lumberjack uh, i don't know i've done some stories down in arkansas in the lumber areas that, that, that's a crazy world man <laughs> it is it is um master lumberer. yeah I, I mean watching and listening and like why they select this particular tree on this slope of the hill and yeah. just being able to read the lay of the land and like yeah. individual tree like it was, you know, a finger on your hand was like amazing. And then they cut down the tree and then like you can like read the rings and like, the growth and the lifespan of that tree uh, wow. was just fascinating. And then again, like taking it every single stage, like that wood goes off to uh, the lumber yard and then it gets broken down into planks and then the, um, these staves and then right. aged. Yeah. Um, there's so much... Um, tradition but also um science and craft um and it so it's very like kind of old world um lumberjacking meets computer yeah, you know, yeah. yeah uh, but it's it's, it's artisan at every step of the way yeah it, it really is um and then you know building the barrels like there's the yeah. basics of what you would expect but then like how they can treat the wood um, with modern technology and so many right. different ways to produce these different flavor characteristics, it's mind-boggling. You um, know, the guys, the guys at Rieger, Rieger just did their, you know, they came out with their monogram, and they did this Facebook Live, and they talked about, you know, the barrel, the sherry barrels that they get from this place in, was it Italy or whatever the hell it is? Right, yeah. And this just they're showing these pictures. You're like, oh, this is real science, sciency shit i mean because the barrels that they have that they got from that winery in italy that they have downtown kansas city they're 100 years old right 100 years old and there's there's all this oh this is the reason we picked this barrel because we're, we're going to do this this out of out of the this is what's going to come out of the whiskey i'm like who know who knew and right now at the, where they get that winery where they get the barrels the the woman that is the master sommelier or whatever that's doing picking the wine and picking the grapes she's like 25 years old and she got handpicked by the family that's owned this place for 300 years they're like oh she's a savant so i get it i just that's so visual so well, that's like, documentary wise bro we need to do a documentary absolutely. telling you yeah so that, i mean that kind of i mean goes back to what we talked about earlier is like that's what i'm focused on is like is storytelling is like telling yeah. the story of these people and the craft and these places and how it all ties together right 
Because there's all types of personalities that are in these in these crafts and you're like, Oh, I didn't even know that was a thing. I saw a short doc on a carpenter who, so he takes the barrels after they've been used right. and turns them into things. He's a, yeah, he's a carpenter. So it's like it, the, the lifespan keeps going. Hey, good wood. That's what I'd like to call it. <laughs> good wood. <laughs> hey Pete, um, before we let you go, um, tell us again, uh, give us your books so people will know what to go read. Sure. Throughout my little my prop here, so there's sure. I like it. Uh, so this is the travel guidebook to regional uh, wineries, breweries, and distilleries in Missouri and Kansas. And then I've also got uh, Kansas City beer. He's prepared. I love Kansas it. Brewing in Kansas City. Um, this is a great picture, by the way, on the cover. Yeah, the mid 1800s up to uh, um, the present day. Those are the two current books that are available. Um, you can order it online um, through the usual sources. Um, and I'm always happy to get a copy of the book. I'm always happy to meet you yeah. at a tap room somewhere I, and sign your copy. I would love to get That's you back, awesome. get you back on and talk about, cause Kansas city free prohibition was beer, beer, beer. Right. And people don't realize what downtown Kansas city was. That's a whole conversation for another day, but that'd be with, a fun, that'd be a fun live show sometime. We'll talk a, a live we'll, show. We'll, we'll go, go do some, we do, we'll we do, do some live KC shows. beer history. We'll make sure we bring a tent this time. Yes, because <laughs> we were we were transparent. It was yeah, it was hot. It was hot. Nice. I actually teach a course um, on the history of prohibition um, in Kansas. Um, and this is a, a little teaser in case we ever do this show. But uh, Kansas was the first state in the country to enact statewide prohibition. Right. It was forty years before national prohibition. <laughs> Kansas, Kansas, fucking yeah, Kansas. So yeah, there's a lot of uh, really rich history and interesting people and and stuff around prohibition in Kansas that led up to national prohibition. So um, and then that ties directly into um, Kansas City beer and, and its history as well. So, yeah, awesome. Happy to awesome. Awesome. Chat about that. Yeah, bro, it's been great to have you. Um, I'm 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 glad we finally got to do it. Um, we appreciate it. Do you appreciate it, Nick? I do. Thank you, man. This You're, was awesome. You seem a bit smarter right now. Well, look, the, nobody's that good. <laughs> nobody's helping me. Nobody's Courtney service. <laughs> no, no, nobody's helping me get smarter. That's, that's just... I think it's the mystery beers there that are talking. <laughs> no, I love it. Thank you. Thank you. I love, I love meeting new storytellers yeah. and, and just, just finding people and their passion. That's awesome. Where, where can the people find us, Nick? You can find us on most of your favorite podcast apps, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. Right. And you know what else you can do, Nigel? This is really cool. What's that? You can tell your Alexa di- your Alexa devices. Yeah. Alexa, play the Beers with Nigel podcast. What about Google? I don't have Alexa. You can do the Googles. Will she answer me? I don't know. <laughs> She's a little hoary sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's fair. <laughs> Also, you can go on Vimeo.com, Woody1966. If you want to if you want to see this pretty face. Oh, wait. I mean that one. Well, Nigel. you know, the, the video is always different because you get to see me go to the – go get an opener. Right, so there's that. True. So, I mean, you can't – I mean, you can – that's not the same experience on audio. No, no. Or, or the time we had somebody drive the truck into the show. There's that. <laughs> um, shout out to Junior. Junior! I'm pretty sure he had this beer last time, so you, we don't have to tell you what that is, Junior. But we'll still put it in the description for those who are uninitiated. Pete, appreciate it, brother. Thank you, man. This was great. Right. Thanks, guys. We'll see you soon. All right. All right. Cheers. All right, peace.
You have been listening to Beers with Nigel, a show about beer and other stuff. Hosted by Nigel Woodbury and that other guy, Nick Parker. Beers with Nigel is a proud member of the Fredcast Network, and it's available on your favorite podcast apps. Connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Beers with Nigel.